0: Today we are talking about the highly debated topic of intermittent fasting. So I get multiple, multiple questions from patients, from viewers, from listeners. Should I fast? Should I not fast? I have hypothyroidism. I heard it's bad. I heard it's good. What are the pros? What are the cons? So we are going to break down everything there is to know about intermittent fasting, time restricted eating and you are going to determine whether or not you should do it because my answer to the question too fast or not to fast is a yes a no and a maybe so we have to figure out whether or not it is right for you so let's first start with intermittent fasting time-restricted eating are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So at any given point of the day, think about it. You can either be eating or not eating. You can be feasting or fasting. And when we eat, our body goes through a process where it has to break down that food and raise insulin levels and take the nutrients out. And in that process, it naturally spikes our insulin. It secretes insulin to push those nutrients into the cell. And in doing so, it raises your glucose levels a little bit. So anytime you eat, you have that process happening. When you are in a fasted state, all body processes are at rest. So digestion gets a break. Your pancreas gets a break from pumping out constant insulin and your body can actually do other things, such as repair cells and lower inflammation and burn body fat for fuel. Now, just because I said that, don't jump on the, I'm going to go fast kind of train. It may not be right for you, and we're going to go over the contraindications or the times that it is right and it's not right. So bear with me, grab your notebook, and take some notes. Intermittent fasted, time restricting eating, it looks different for different people. Some people will just simply start with three meals a day, meaning taking out the snacks. If we go back to the 90s, the early 2000s, we were taught that you have to eat every two hours to keep your metabolism up. Keep that fire burning. It's like throwing logs on a fire. Well, as time goes on, we start to look at, hey, what does the body actually do when we eat every two hours? So we eat, the pancreas secretes insulin, insulin rises, glucose rises, body is in kind of a fat storage mode. It's using energy, but what if there's excess energy? What if your insulin and blood sugar hasn't come down from the last two hours when you ate that snack before? Remember the days of leaving the gym and slamming a protein shake? Slamming a protein shake before you went to the gym, slamming one after you went to the gym, making sure that you had all your meals packed because at that two-hour mark, you better grab your next meal and put some food down your mouth because you want to keep that fire burning. Well, now we know that's not the case. That's not the best way to go about things, especially for those of you with insulin resistance. So every time you eat, pancreas secretes insulin, insulin goes up, you're insulin resistant, your cells can't take it up anyways. Now you have excess insulin, high blood sugar, excess insulin, high blood sugar, inflammation, fat storage, and you're on this roller coaster, crazy hamster wheel cycle that you can't get off of because you keep feeding your face every two hours. So that's a myth. That myth of eat six times a day, I want you to throw it out the window, forget about it, no matter who you are, hypo, hashi, no hypo, insulin resistant, no matter what, you do not want to be eating six times a day. Unless you're a 200-pound bodybuilder getting ready for a competition and we need to pack on some muscle and you're in the off-season. Actually, you're not getting ready for a competition. You're in the off-season because we want to put weight on you and we'll put muscle on you and then we're going to throw food in your mouth every two hours. But other than that, that is not even a health way to go about things whatsoever. So with hypothyroidism, insulin resistance so often accompanies it. So it's worth mentioning the insulin resistant piece because we see it so often tied in with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. So the last thing that you want to do is eat every couple of hours. If you have hypothyroidism, Hashi, and you have insulin resistance tied to it, very, very common because you're going to perpetuate your bad situation. You're going to create inflammation that's going to downregulate your thyroid. You're going to kick up that insulin, kick up that blood glucose and stay in that fat storage mode. So you don't want to do that. If we just look at the basic breakdown of food, not the keto camp, the vegan camp, the, this diet camp, that diet camp, just look at the basic biochemistry of food and what it does in your body. Get all the diets out of your head. Carbs will raise your insulin because to process carbohydrates, we know that the pancreas has to secrete more insulin than it does for proteins and fats proteins have a moderate effect on insulin and blood sugar. Moderate. And each protein can be unique to your body. So you might get a little bit more of a blood sugar rise with, let's say, um, chicken than you do with whitefish. So that's an individual basis. But in general, proteins moderately, moderately affect blood sugar and insulin levels. Fats do not pure, pure fats. I don't mean peanut butter. I mean like a pure fat, coconut oil, heavy whipping cream, um, and avocado. Well, avocado has a little bit of protein. So that'd be like right in between the protein and the fat. Fats do not spike insulin whatsoever. They do not spike insulin. So that's just basic, basic biochemistry. And if you think about that, you keep that in mind, as we're talking, you'll understand better of, why we say maybe you start with small intermittent fasting windows, maybe you start with a fat fast because you're not getting the insulin spike. The goal with intermittent fasting is to keep insulin low. The fastest way to age is to raise your insulin. So if you want cancer and diabetes and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and some wrinkles, keep your insulin levels high. Keep eating every two hours and make sure it's a carbohydrate meal definitely. You'll get there really quickly. So the fastest way to age is by keeping your insulin high. Dr. Pompa says, he's a mentor of mine. He says, for those of you who listen to him, Dr. Dan Pompa, he says, don't eat less, eat less often. So there's your starting point for whoever you are. Hypo, Hashi, normal, insulin resistant, non-insulin resistant, just the average Joe. Don't eat less, but eat less often. Again, don't pump food into your body every two hours. Let's start with just take out the snacks. Let's go back to that old school way of three squares a day. Remember that? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Not carrying around a protein bar and a protein shake and nuts and seeds and and keto fat bombs and cheese and, and crackers and cookies and pumping that into your body in between breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Let's just go back to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So don't eat less, eat less often. Start with three meals a day, cut out the snacks. Here's how I tell people to naturally begin incorporating intermittent fasting into your life and doing it by listening to your body. So I I ask you, I will ask you, when do you stop eating at night? Usually most people will say, you know, around eight, nine. Now, let me say, I don't care when you stop eating. Don't lie to me and say, I stopped by 7 because that's what we're supposed to do. No, you don't have to. If you want to eat something good that is blood sugar stabilizing, that is high in good fats, that is moderate in protein and low in carbohydrates before you go to bed because you want that nighttime snack when you're watching Netflix, that's cool with me. That's fine. So let's be honest with each other. I eat till late. I'm more of a late eater than a morning eater. So my last meal, I'll use myself then. If you're not going to be honest with me, I'll use myself. My last meal is 9 p.m., let's say. And then I wake up in the morning, and we'll get to your coffee question in a second. I wake up in the morning. I have coffee. Sometimes it's black. Sometimes it has heavy whipping cream, half and half, organic half and half. And then I will not eat again until usually at least 11. So that is a natural 14-hour fast. That's not even thinking. That's just listening to my body saying, are you hungry? Are you not hungry? Is it real hunger? Is your tummy just a little bit growling, but it's not really hungry, hungry, where I need something? That is a natural fast. And a lot of times when I ask people that, even if you're going nine to nine, guess what? You're intermittent fasting for 12 hours because most of that you're sleeping. So that's a very easy way to start easing into incorporating in intermittent fasting into your life. The benefits, again, we go over them, like we said in the beginning, it includes giving your organs and your bodily systems a break, reducing inflammation, stimulating autophagy, which is like a, a spring cleaning of your cells. It actually ends up helping inflammation and helps your skin at the cell level for the thyroid. It helps to clear out the sludge so you don't have cell resistance to thyroid hormone. So autophagy is great, but you don't have to overdo it just because I'm saying the benefits does not mean you have to go overboard. We'll talk about the contraindications in a second. So one thing you can do, go natural 12-hour fast, three meals a day during the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, making sure that you're getting a lot of nutrients and you're getting the adequate amount of calories, even though we don't count calories, the adequate amount of calories, because we don't want you to be too low in each of those meals, then you can start just kind of easing your way. If you're at 12, then maybe your next step is 14. And that might be a challenge. And that might take you a couple of months to do, to actually make it a full 14 hours without eating. And I don't even mean on a daily basis. The big takeaway that I will drive home throughout this talk is to listen to your body. There are days, now I just gave you my typical day. There are days where I wake up starving. There are days where I'm eating at 11 p.m. Um, There are days where I go eight hours and I'm eating again just because it's one of those hunger days. Hormone changes, um, schedule changes, not getting enough sleep will make you more hungry the next morning. You'll wake up with genuine hunger, not just little growling stomachs, but genuine hunger because of blood sugar dysregulation. So there are times where it's not going to be perfect every day. I'm not, by no means am I telling you that I 14 hour fast every single day. Sometimes I go longer just because I get busy, or maybe I'm not that hungry coming back to listening to your body. Sometimes I go shorter because I'm listening to my body. And that's how I want you to start incorporating this into your life. You might be at 12 or 14 the rest of your life, and that's okay because those 12 and 14 hours are times that your body is doing spring cleaning. There are times that you're bringing down your insulin. You're giving your digestive system a break from having to work so hard to process the food that you're putting into your mouth every few hours. So you're you're giving that a break. You're saying, you know what? We're going to take some stress off of you. You don't have to work every two hours. You get to work three times a day. That's a win. And then maybe we go even to two times a day. Then we start switching your meals up to where maybe that initial nighttime fast is only 12 to 14 hours, but then you have this nice break in the middle where you're eating a nice hearty breakfast lunch around 10 or 11, and then you go all the way till like 5 or 6 p.m. and have your dinner and you have a little snack at nine, and then you do it all over again. So there are so many different ways to start incorporating this into your life and to reap the benefits. You do not have to be, let's say, narrow-focused or sucked into the intermittent fasting groups that say, you must do 16-8. You must do OMAD, one meal a day. You must do this every day, because if you don't do it every day, you're not going to get the benefits. And then you better do a three-day fast and you better do a five-day fast. There are some big, big downfalls to incorporating that in if you have hypothyroidism. And there are some big downfalls to you not listening to your body. So again, the take-home, listen to your body. Here's when you are not going to fast. If you are starving when you wake up, that is called listening to your body you are actually saying, you know what? Maybe I'm under stress. If you're under large amounts of stress, not a time to fast because fasting is a somewhat of a stress on the body. So if you're already under large amounts of stress, probably not a time to fast. It will increase your cortisol. If you override your body signals, if you wake up and you say, "Ah, oh, I'm so hungry today, but I'm a type A personality, And I'm going to get in that fast because I said I was going to do 16 hours. I said I was going to do 20 hours. I said I was going to do 24 hours and I'm going to do it no matter what. You're going to increase your cortisol levels. It is going to work against you. I promise you. Set aside your type A personality when it comes to intermittent fasting because you have to tune in and you have to listen to your body and listen to your body signals. If your thyroid is not optimized, that is not a time to incorporate intermittent fasting. Maybe you start out with doing that intermittent fasting in the middle of the day where you have two larger meals or you just go to three meals per day. Maybe you start with just 12 hours and that is a win and you carry that out until we get your thyroid optimized. You do not want to force intermittent fasting when your thyroid is not optimized. If you are severely hypoglycemic, reactive hypoglycemic. You are a hardcore sugar burner. You're probably not going to be able to fast. You are one of those people that say, there's no way I could do three times a day for food because in the middle of those three times I get hangry and I get lightheaded and I feel like I'm going to pass out and I get irritable and I'm going to rip someone's face off unless I get food. You are a sugar burner. You are relying on, on all those sugar and carbohydrate foods that you pump into your body, your glycogen stores are full, and you are rising and falling, rising and falling with your blood sugar throughout the day. It's not a good scenario whatsoever, and it's not going to allow you to fast. Now, this could also be because your thyroid is not optimized. If your thyroid is not optimized, you're probably going to be more insulin resistant. You're going to be reactive hypoglycemic, and you're not going to be able to fast. It is going to suck. You're going to hate life. I don't recommend doing it then. If your thyroid is not optimized, your cortisol might not be balanced. So we need to work on your thyroid first because the last thing we want to do is incorporate intermittent fasting and have it be a stressor on your body and have more cortisol pump up. And then cortisol will get in the way of T4 to T3 conversion. Then your thyroid drops even more and it's a vicious cycle. So if your thyroid is not optimized, not, not a time to fast. And you might not even be able to do three meals. You might have to do four meals a day to start. You might have to do a fat fast, meaning all of your meals. And this is a great way to jumpstart yourself from shifting into being a sugar burner to a fat burner rather than just going keto, which is low carb. That's one way to shift your body over and you don't have to do it all the time. You don't have to do it full time, but to get that shift from being a sugar burner to being a fat burner, you have to drop your carbs and stop feeding your body sugars and carbs. So to do that, what do you replace it with? Proteins and fats. That's do it quickly. You can do a fat fast, meaning you are eating literally nothing but fat throughout the day. And if you have to give yourself something every couple hours just to mentally take that food in, to stabilize yourself, you do a half an avocado, you do a couple scoops of coconut oil, you do a steak that's going to give you some protein, but it's more fat, get a nice fatty cut of steak, Um, then that's one way that you can at least start your body onto a fast, quote unquote, by doing a fat fast if you don't believe that you can make it doing just three meals per day. If you do want to start with the three meals per day, I say that you naturally going back to what we know the foods do, I'm going to recommend doing lower carbohydrates. Now, some of you might have heard that going low carb for your thyroid is bad. You need the carbs for T4 to T3 conversion. You need to cycle. So yes, you can do low carbs to push your body from being a sugar burner to a fat burner. And then every so often have a higher carb day with the good carbs. Throw in sweet potatoes, throw in butternut squash, increase your carbohydrates in the form of good carbs. And then that will at least bump those carbohydrates up enough that it will not downregulate your thyroid from being low carb for too long. It's just a natural way of eating, and again, it's going back to that message that I'm sending you. Listen to your body. Listen to your body's signals. Many times, your body is telling you, especially if you're a woman and you are still cycling, maybe low-carb, low-carb all the time isn't great. Maybe you want to throw in one day a week of a higher-carb meal, but please don't want to be pasta and bread. That's not what I'm talking about. Higher carbs in the form of good carbohydrates. Then after you are fat adapted and after you are optimized, then you can start adding in those longer periods of time without eating, those longer periods of of fasting, even if it's in the middle of the day. One thing that you can do to see what foods are throwing you out of a fast is get a glucometer. So we talk about glucometers a lot when we talk about insulin resistance. And if you've listened to the last podcast on insulin resistance, you will have heard me say, get a glucometer, test in the morning, fasted, test after a meal, half an hour after every meal, every 15 minutes for two hours and record that for a few days or a week or a couple weeks if you're severely insulin resistant and see what your numbers are. We want them under 120. Well, the same goes for when you are in a fasted state and you want to incorporate something in. We want to keep your glucose low. We want to keep the insulin down. We want to keep your blood sugar glucose low. So get a glucometer and test yourself a half an hour and an hour after you eat, quote unquote. So let me give you an example. In the morning, you want to have your coffee, but you don't quite know, does black coffee increase my cortisol and thus increase my blood glucose? Or am I better with maybe a tablespoon of butter in my coffee? Maybe heavy whipping cream in my coffee? Maybe that fat in your coffee keeps your cortisol and your glucose response low. So test, get a glucometer, test before you drink it, write down your number, test on a couple different fingers too, because you can get a wacky number if you just do one. Test on a couple of different fingers, both hands, write it down. Let's say hypothetically you're an 86, and then you drink your black coffee and you test 15 minutes and a half an hour afterwards. Because remember, this isn't every day, this is just the trial and error piece. So you test 15 minutes, half an hour, maybe an hour after you drink your coffee, and your blood sugar goes to 120, 125. Okay, well, then the next day, guess what? That just threw you out of your fast. The next day, add in coconut oil, add in butter add in heavy whipping cream, whatever you want to start with, and then do the same test. If it stays under 120, ultimately, we want you to not go above 10 points. So if you're an 86, we really don't want you to go above a 96. But if you're under a 120, that is a proper glycemic response to that food. And you can actually stay in a fasted state and you're keeping your blood sugar response and your glucose response low. So let's say the one day you do black coffee, you test or an 86, you go to 120. Oop, that's not right. So then the next day you add in some heavy whipping cream and you go from an 86 or 90 to um, 99, uh, 96, 99, 95. Good. Then you are staying in a low blood sugar, low insulin fasted state, and you can incorporate that and still remain fasted. The same goes for bone broth. That's a great way to be in a fasted state, but still get some, some sodium, especially if you add some sea salt to your bone broth, it kind of, that warmth kind of satiates you and allows you to go a little bit longer. That's great to add in, in the middle of the day, if you are doing two meals a day and you're trying to incorporate intermittent fasting in the middle of the day, that's a great way to kind of extend your fast too, but you have to test and you have to see how that food Response in your body. If you are starting out because you're a sugar burner and you're going to start out on a fat fast, like we just talked about, then maybe you test after you eat that fatty steak. We don't know what it's going to do. We can tell you what it's probably going to do because we just went over what does carbohydrates and proteins and fat do in the body in terms of the blood sugar response and the insulin response, but test yourself. You don't have to be keto, but you still need good fat, and you probably need to drop your carbs in order to shift over from being that sugar burner, which I don't want you to be anyways, no matter who you are, into being an efficient fat burner. So let's go over based on that. Who should not do fasting? Who just shouldn't do it? First of all, patients who have suffered, people who have suffered with eating disorders. That can be a trigger fasting can be a trigger and you can get into a vicious obsessive cycle just like the type A's of well I did 12 hours this day now I'm gonna be do 14 hours and now I'm gonna be 24 hours and then I'll try to do 48 hours and it's it's almost like a subconscious excuse to not eat and it could definitely trigger your eating disorder to come to the surface again if you if you have already recovered so, Those with past eating disorders or present eating disorders, I do not recommend doing any kind of fasting or intermittent fasting. Reactive hypoglycemia, we talked about. If you were on that hangry roller coaster, then you need to fix your food first and get that under control before you start adding in intermittent fasting. Yes, I know you've heard that, yeah, but intermittent fasting can help me become a fat burner and can help reduce my cravings. Yeah, but it really might suck as you're doing it like you might be really miserable. So I suggest get the food under control. You don't want to intermittent fast with McDonald's and donuts, get your food under control first, then it's going to be way easier for you. I promise. I promise. So if you can't go more than a few hours without eating you and you can't do a morning fasted workout. So those of you who are exercisers in the morning, you'd like to get up and go. It may be a cup of coffee, We just talked about that. You can test yourself. But if you like to exercise in the morning and you cannot get through a workout because your blood sugar drops and you get lightheaded and you say, I have to eat before I go to the gym, then it's time to go back to your food and fix that first and clean it up and add more good fats and lower those carbs before you start incorporating in intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting might not be right for you if you can't even get through a morning workout in a fasted state, severely low T3. We talked about not doing this until your thyroid is optimized. If you have severely low T3 levels, intermittent fasting is not, it's not a time to incorporate that in. We need to focus on getting those levels up. And by severely low, I really mean anything like 2.5 or below. I mean, that is Bottom of the barrel basement low. Throw the, the conventional standard lab range out the window. We have talked about that over and over again. Yes, functional is 3.5 or above, or functional optimal is 3.5 or above, four or above. If you're 2.5 or below, you are severely low. And that is not a time to incorporate any in intermittent fasting. We want to work on that first and get you more optimized first usually through the use of T3 medication, making sure that all your pathways of T4 to T3 conversion are optimized, like cortisol, like iron, ferritin, insulin, and see all of those are tied into the intermittent fasting because if you try to incorporate it in and you have low T3 and then you pump up your cortisol and you're relying on something like Synthroid Levo or Armor or NP and you're relying on that T4 to convert over and you have high reverse T3, you're just perpetuating the problem by pumping up that cortisol. So, that is not a time to intermittent fast. It might be a time to start changing up your diet because we don't want high insulin. It might be time to lower those carbs. It might be time to do a fat fast, but it's definitely not a time to intermittent fast because we don't want your cortisol levels high. Thyroid patients who eat multiple times a day are increasing their leptin. So, this is where we go into the why should you incorporate in intermittent fasting? if you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. So we're kind of going back and forth. We talked about who shouldn't. Now we're talking about who should. So we said in the beginning, a lot of times, many, many times, hypothyroidism is tied to, very closely tied to and seen with insulin resistance or prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. So with, with eating multiple times a day, if you are a thyroid patient, you are going to increase your leptin. Leptin is the satiety hormone. We don't want leptin Pumping out because then you get leptin resistance, the same as insulin resistance. So, we talked about insulin. Insulin's pumping out, pumping out, pumping out, can't get to the cell. So, if you keep pumping out leptin, you're going to become leptin resistant, which will then shut down thyroid physiology and functioning of the thyroid gland. And then we also know that leptin resistance and insulin resistance are closely tied together. So, high insulin levels from eating six times a day will interfere with T4 to T3 conversion of the thyroid hormone. So you have to really kind of be careful um, when you are eating multiple times a day with a thyroid problem because you could actually develop and cause your very own leptin resistance and insulin resistance if you don't have it already. So that's one reason to at least incorporate in the three meals a day cut out the snacks, and just start inching your way into incorporating in intermittent fasting. So thyroid patients also need to be careful if you are doing intermittent fasting, if you're doing three meals a day, if you're doing two meals a day, especially if you're doing one meal a day or OMAD, you have to be careful because if you don't get the right amount of calories your thyroid function will shut down and thyroid hormones will be deactivated at the cellular level. So you really have to be careful of those low-carb diets. We've talked about this before. It has been proven. There is a study that shows that if you eat under 900 calories a day for 30 days, your T3 can lower by 50% for six months. So you have to be incredibly careful and cognizant and this is the one time that I would say get out your little apps track your calories because if you are incorporating in intermittent fasting you better be sure that you're getting the right amount of calories preferably in the form of mostly fat and then moderate protein and then lower in the carbohydrates and especially being gluten and grain free for my Hashimoto patients You want to be sure that you are getting the right amount of calories because you do not want to deactivate the thyroid hormone from getting into the cell because you are in a starvation mode. Last thing you want to do. Okay, so how to start? We've talked about this. We're going to go over it again. The biggest point that I need to drive home is to do it naturally. There are going to be days where, and you know these days, I know you know these days, you could eat everything in sight. Whether you're cycling, you're a woman, your hormones are fluctuating, men, your hormones fluctuate too. There could be days where you are just hungry and you want to eat everything that comes across your field of vision, not a day to fast. If you try to force that and you go against your body's hunger signals, and I'm not saying go ahead and have a donut feast, I mean, just listen to your body. Fill it with really good nourishing foods, things that will stabilize your blood glucose levels, but satisfy you at the same time. Listen to your body, not a day to fast. If you wake up and you go, you know, I don't know, I'm just not that hungry. I'm not really a breakfast eater. I don't really like breakfast. I really don't get hungry until like 11. Wow, today, I just, I don't even feel hungry. I know it's 11 and this is the time that I normally eat, but uh, I just, I don't feel like food right now. I'm just going to wait until I'm actually hungry. And you actually start listening and tapping into your body's own hunger signals. Not only will you become just a better patient advocate for yourself because you're going to tune into your body and you're going to learn to listen to your body, but you're going to prevent the downside of intermittent fasting, the cortisol spikes, because it's a stressor on the body instead of a natural behavior. You'll be listening to your body and incorporating in intermittent fasting without it being a struggle, without it being this gritting your teeth goal that you need to achieve. It's going to happen naturally. So think about the time that you stop eating. Think about the time that you start eating. Are you already doing 12 hours? If you're already doing 12 hours, then go 13. 13. And don't beat yourself up if it takes you two or three months to even make it to 13. Don't beat yourself up if it takes you six months to make it to 14 hours a day. And then maybe one day a week, you throw in a 16-8 just because, hey, it happened naturally. That's 16 hours of fasting, eight-hour window of eating. So in that eight-hour window, you can do your three meals a day. Maybe you only get in two meals a day because it's only eight hours. Listen to your body and figure out what's going to work for you. So at the end of this, I don't have a yes, no answer. It really is a maybe. There's no one way to do this at all. This has to be absolutely personalized to you. We can do 16 8. We can do one meal a day for some people. We can do three meals a day. We can do a fat fast. We can do it some days because you're listening to your body and you're letting it happen naturally. If you're in a stressful time, you might not fast at all. You might not make it past 10 to 12 hours, and that is okay listen to your body and give yourself a break. If your T3 levels are not optimized, you don't do it. You put it on the back burner, you come back to this, listen to it after you've worked with someone to get your T3 levels optimized, to get your reverse T3 down, to get your thyroid working properly, getting on the right medication, checking all those other markers like cortisol and 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 insulin and iron status and ferritin and your vitamin D level and your zinc and your copper and your magnesium and your selenium and your iodine, then you can come back to this and start incorporating in intermittent fasting. I hope this clears a lot of the confusion and the fog surrounding this topic. You can listen to five different podcasts and get five different points of view of what you as a hypothyroid patient, as a thyroid patient, as a Hashimoto patient should do. I'm going to Cut through all that crap. I'm going to tell you right now listen to your body. It really is that simple. You don't need books. You don't need podcasts. You don't need multiple blog posts to figure out what to do. Listen to your body. Don't eat less. Eat less often. That's the first place to start. Three meals a day. Go back to old school. Your body was made to do that. Feast or famine. Our bodies were ancestrally made to do that as well. There were times we were feasting, there were times we were famining. Not eating. Famining? Is that a word? Listen to your body. If you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. It's that simple. You're not on a clock. You don't have to force feed yourself every couple hours. Put that out of your head, out of your world, out of your line of sight. No one said you have to force feed yourself. I want you to listen to your body. Thank you so much for listening to the Thyroid Fix podcast. As always, please share this with anyone that you know that needs this information. And I guarantee you there's a lot of people out there and in your life who do. If you would please take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated. I read all of them and I'll even read some on the air. Actually, I'll read all of them on the air because I appreciate it that much. Also, please remember that anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat. So you always want to check with your doctor about any advice given that you hear on this podcast. And if you would like to book a discovery call, a free discovery call to go over everything that's going on with you and to go over how I can help you, please go to my website at amyhorneman.com. The link is always in the show notes and click on book a call. Choose a time and a day that's right for you and we will see how we can help you. Thanks for listening.